welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. And we're rolling. Cheers, brother. Cheers. I've got my man, Tony. Huh? Is the is the correct enunciation correct? Huh. Just like last time. <laughs> it's it's spelled H E, but not in not where you're from. Do they say it that way? Yeah, my my pronoun is he. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Well, dude, this was um a pretty a pretty hard fought b- battle, wasn't it? This turkey hunt. I mean, the hardest <laughs> 10 minutes of my life. <laughs> I know. There's there's no way for us to avoid the fact of our our stealth cam intel was highly accurate. This turkey mission was kind of, you didn't get to see much really other than, oh, wow, is that turkey's goblin? Yep, that's them goblin. And then me saying, get your bow and pull back. <laughs> that was it. I think we sat in a blind for maybe two hours total this weekend. For two tags. Yep. Yeah, your tag was 10 minutes. Well, we were in there 20 or 30 minutes before daylight probably, mm-hmm. or as as it was barely getting daylight. And then the turkeys, we could tell they flew down and were gobbling on the ground, called a few times, and I kind of play hard to get. I don't just keep calling, keep calling. If I call and they respond, normally I kind of wait for them to call back to me like, hey, are you still there? And then I'll call again, get them to talk, and then I kind of stay quiet. It worked awesome. Yeah, it was great. What's your takeaway from your first turkey hunt? It's it's different from any other hunting experience I've had because we've actually called an animal in versus you sit and wait or you spot and stalk and you follow them. Here you're, you know, you're calling that sucker in, and he has no idea that you're going to just ambush his ass. <laughs> well, for those who who say hunting a turkey is a, is like hunting elk, what's your take on that? Zero. <laughs> Zero percent. <laughs> I know, I know. The only the only thing that's similar is that you call and they like vocally talk back and they come in, but it is not on the same realm. No, completely different. I wonder if a turkey was actually the size of an ostrich and did the same thing. If people would say like, it's kind of like elk hunting. If, I mean, if the bird was big enough and it came in to do all that, do you think it would be similar or still totally different? It'd probably be more similar because you'd see the, the swaying of the branches and the trees <laughs> just moving out of the way and this, like dinosaur looking bird come at you. We'll put it this way. If if that was the case and a wild turkey was the size of an ostrich, that thing could look in our freaking muddy blind with being on that on that platform. Like w- instead of all of a sudden we see this fan moving through the brush, like that thing could come in from behind us and just that head could just <laughs> look right in our window at us calling. I'd I'd still hunt it. Have you ever seen an ostrich close up? Nope, never. I used to have a little ostrich egg, though. 
For what? Wasn't one of those hundred year old ones, was it? No, it was a decoration. <laughs> just a ostrich egg, just to have in the house. Yeah, you're a crafty freaking interior design artist. I know that. I, I've been trying to do it my own house recently, so. Because you're the you're, you are the type of person that. You want to do anything that is something new. You want to get in and get after it, whether it's. Well, I saw you. Sh- shoot like a hog and you really wanted to get into that anatomy and know how hogs are made on the inside and uh (laughs) you you buy a house and you want to freaking gut the house and and you know rent the time life uh tim the toolman taylor book set so you can learn how how to plumbing how to drywall how to install a gas fireplace done it all done it all have you tried a garage door opener yet yeah replaced my garage door you did dude they say those are freaking deadly you went for it i did my dad and i we like to (laughs) we like to just replace these things and we replace it with this beltless one or chainless one so it's like dead silent so how'd you do the freaking spring it was you we just took the whole unit off They say that's super dodgy, dude. (laughs) (laughs) She just went for it. What was the hardest uh, DIY thing you've ever done where you kind of got in and thought, maybe I should have just hired this out? Uh, So I rewired my entire house with Ethernet. and (laughs) I mean, I had to get in the attic, and it's Houston, summertime. My butt is sweating in the attic. I thought I was going to (laughs) die. And you are trying to run wires through your walls, so you're drilling holes through sheetrock, <laughs> patching sheetrock. I mean, it was it was a doozy. <laughs> and dude, you're highly successful. It's not like it's not like you deciding to do to do projects like this means you're not making ten bucks an hour working for your. <laughs> it's not like you're you know. Fletching arrows for some archery shop. You have a legit job to where you hiring it out is definitely the smarter play. Oh, 100%. But, <laughs> but you just want to learn it, huh? I do. And, you know, I have this massive collection of tools now that I've probably used once. And so <laughs> just sitting in my garage. That's so freaking cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really fun to just to watch how many things you took interest in, like just on this turkey hunt, you were totally watching me call. I gave you a call. I gave you one. I gave you, actually, I gave him kind of more of a limited edition, uh, bourbon barrel call with a glass top and the, and the Dia de Arco face underneath the glass. But I never told you like how to call, but as soon as I gave it to you, you were kind of looking at me, and then next thing I know, I hear this, like, <laughs> I look over, and you're just doing it, just 100% based off, like, visual aid of watching someone do it, and then you attempted it, and it was solid. I think you could have called your own bird. Maybe not yet, but <laughs> I'll practice in Houston. <laughs> Are you going to really practice on the plane ride home? Oh, I might. <laughs> My my flight's at six o'clock in the morning. So. <laughs> that would be awesome. And when we drove around the farm, I could tell you're like, do you ever do you ever have to just get out and like start 
chainsaw and trees and stuff? And I, I said, yeah. And you're like, I'd love to just come and do that. Yeah. Well, uh, my dad and I actually <laughs> removed this three-story tall dead crepe myrtle from my front yard like two weeks ago. And so we chainsawed that sucker all the way down, took three trips to the recycling center uh, with all the, I guess, dead wood, recycled that thing. What's on your bucket list of stuff you really want to, like, learn to do that you haven't yet? Like drive a bulldozer or something like that? or I think I want to get really good at horseback riding. <laughs> just, I mean, like... Are you talking, like, like where you can jump on them and stuff? Just like, like steeplechase? <laughs> you want to, like, do a steeplechase? I'm, I'm thinking, like, a backcountry hunt, you know, where you have to... The only way in is on horseback and to pack something out. You can't get can't get there by vehicle. That's that's the ultimate goal, I think. That is the ultimate goal. Not to mention, you've been hunting how long now? Uh, about five years total, maybe five. First animal is deer, whitetail, Texas whitetail, Texas whitetail, and then second animal, bear. That's right. I I figure I thought I was in on like number two. Yep. So number two was when you came to to BC. So let's backtrack on that a little bit because <laughs> that was ridiculous. Honestly, every single thing I've personally watched you shoot is ridiculous and lucky. So we had uh, a full camp booked for uh, the spot where I normally go up in British Columbia, Colton River Outfitters. And, you know, we we're up there with Nick and Brittany Yarish and normally – the fillions are guiding me and some of my friends, right? So I forget who it was. Someone had to back out last minute. Oh, Josh Bridges. Yep. Josh Bridges. Uh he had an affection, didn't he? On his got like a tattoo and got an affection on his arm. So he like didn't want to be in the back country. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Am I gonna come in contact with like any type of shady water? And I said, for sure. 100%. <laughs> he's like, because he's like, I just really can't afford any type of infection on my arm. He said, what do you think I could get on there? And I just said, I don't know, like any of the bad water or, you know, probably some of the guts and stuff from, you know, or whatever else is on bear hides you're hauling around or maybe you can get some tetanus off like some old fish hooks up there. Like <laughs> you never know. You got a whole smorgasbord of, you know, skin things that could happen to you. So then he bailed and I called, I called Wes and said, do you, you know, we need to find someone that could go last minute. And then he's like, do you think Tony could come? And I said, is he going to be able to get there in like two days? And he's, he called me back. He goes, all right, he's coming. <laughs> so where were you when you got that call? I was in the office. I was at work. In Cali? Uh, no, I was actually in Houston. I was at the office in Houston, and Wes never calls me. So <laughs> he, we always just text each other. That's that's the kind of friendship we have, right? It's always <laughs> just text, immediate response, right? If If I call him or he calls me, we know something's up, so it's like, oh shit, we got to answer. And so, damn, right. I got, I didn't get that code. <laughs> I will say, when I call Wes, it's like, I don't know if he has a phone somehow hooked to his body where he just says like, "Hey Siri, answer," because he, like, he's picking up in one ring. 
and he's just like, "What's up?" Oh, absolutely. Like that quick. And I, I think I'm a, I'm like that with a lot of my friends, where it's always a text, and like I butt dialed my friend Meredith the other day, and she was like, "Hello, what's wrong?" And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but I got the call when I was in the office, and I picked up, and Wes was like, "Hey." Remember that bear hunt I'm going on? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you want to go? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I looked up tickets, and luckily, because I traveled a lot for work, I had airline points, and so it just made sense. I said, <laughs> all right, I'm there. And you had to come in. You needed an extra day. Was it, was it one extra day or two? I needed one extra day to get camo. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and the infamous Googling of, let's, let's save that because that, that's a, that's a critical component to, uh, that's a pro move. What I love about this, this podcast with you is anyone out there who picked up a bow and feels like from a scale of one to 10, your experience level with that bow when it comes to like knowing what gear you should take to any hunt, like if you're on a muley hunt and had an antelope tag, but an antelope popped out, like would you know where to shoot an antelope or would you know their like what their pros and cons are? I think you were at that point probably a two. I think you were one and a half. One, yeah, one and a half. And, and even now, you have an incredible docket of things that you've done for only being in this short a period of time. Like you've covered, you've covered a pretty awesome freaking, you know, scale of different things that you could shoot. Or some of your hunts have been legitimate hard where I'm, I even thought this is and the bear hunt was one of those where I thought he's going to come and he's going to love it. But there's also a lot to learn and a lot that can go wrong. So you're on the way there. Wes has a horseshoe up his butt, too. <laughs> I mean, 100%. He freaking smokes two bears, one color phase. And not to mention, he, the, one, the color phase one he shot was out in an old burn. And this thing was, like, out in the middle of nothing. No cover, nothing. And somehow Wes just kept that thing's butt between him and his eye and the bear's eyeball and somehow stalked across this wide open just ash. Ash hillside of ash and burn and got that. So he was tagged out when you roll in. He said, Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down and meet Tony because he tagged out that quick. And so I'm out trying to find my first bear and then come into camp that night and word on the street is Tony shot a seven footer. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, a, this is a legit seven foot black bear. Nose to tail, spot and stalk. How did that go down? Oh, it was, it was epic. Um, it was kind of wild, actually, because we were with the guide, and we had driven all the way down and gotten to the border of, I guess, the, the land lease, right? And there's a, 
a person that actually lives it was the there. outfitter area. So the for those area. listening, you know, the outfitters have like they have guide areas where they're allowed, you know, they have their own unit that they're allowed to hunt in. I don't know how big Nick's was. It's, I mean, it's a hundred acres, a hundred, hundred miles square or something like that. It's a lot. I mean, it's, it's like driving across three or four towns in the U S right. Yeah, and that's, I think they could do like a 99 year lease or something. Yeah, it was crazy. So you just got to where you cross that bridge and now you're like, Hey, you're in Chicolton's guide area. Mm-hmm. And we actually drive down, and we go past this house where, I guess, a farmer comes out. He lives there. And he's like, what are you doing here? And the, our guy goes through the whole explanation. And then somehow the conversation goes on a tangent. And the farmer starts telling us how he sells reclaimed wood. And so we sit there for 30 minutes talking about reclaimed wood. And I'm just like, okay, you know, we're the bears here. <laughs> But, you know, somehow... I'm it, paying per day. <laughs> it actually worked out perfectly yeah. because on our drive back, we are driving and we see this hill and just at the top of the hill, just munching on, you know, daisies or whatever, <laughs> clovers, <laughs> is this black bear. And so we, we stopped the car. Uh, I'm First one up. you've ever seen in your life, right? First one I've seen. So it could have been a cub or it could have been the seven-footer that you shot. And... To you, you didn't know. I didn't know. I was going after it, though. <laughs> okay. So lo- you just knew the rules. As long as there's no cubs, like, can't be a sow, just n- check for cubs. Check for cubs. And so Wes and I jump out of the truck, and we are so amped up, we just completely just go ahead of our guide. <laughs> and we don't even look, and it was great. We we trekked up this uh, this hill, and we're all wearing these sneaky feet, and so these things are. I told prob- you those were needed. Yeah, but they're probably like five times too big for my feet. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to not trip over myself while cry- climbing over all this fallen timber, and we get to the top of the hill, and neither of us can see this bear. And so, do you feel like you were pretty quiet getting up there? I think so. Either that or my adrenaline was just pumping, so all I could hear was the heart, my own heartbeat in my, <laughs> in my ears. And, and so we get up there, and Wes can't see the bear, and, he, you know, he's taller than I am, so I'm like, shit, well, if he can't see it, then I definitely can't <laughs> yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah. But I look up, and I can just make out the top of the bear's back. That ha- the hair of his, of his back. And, and I look over at Wes, and my eyes are, like, huge, and I'm like, He's right there. <laughs> and and Wes sees him. I, I range him myself, and, you know, I range him right at 20. And this kind of goes back to that. So, dude, <laughs> you literally went up unknown unknown terrain, just navigating your way through the blowdown and everything as best you can. Never been up that hill before. Never. And then all of a sudden you just – Get to the top and look over, and here he is, tw- two zero on the rangefinder. Two zero, and I ranged him twice just to make sure. <laughs> I was like, "There's no way this this dude is at twenty yards away," and he was. And so then, I draw back, and keep in mind, this is I, I'm wearing a face mask, so I actually draw back. And the knurling on the release grabs my face mask and jerks my face back. 
And I'm like, oh my God. And my arm just like shoots 40 and like lets the bow back down. And I'm like, what just happened? And didn't fire. Did not fire. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> and so I, I draw back again. Was Wes watching that? Oh, 100%. <laughs> That's the stuff him and I just freaking love about you. Seeing that stuff happen. <laughs> All right. And so I draw back again. And, you know, I center my pin right in the middle of the body because that's where I learned <laughs> to shoot, you know, off Google.com. <laughs> and boom, got him. So I come into camp, and they're like, Tony got one. I go, what? On the way back from the airport? They're like, yep. I go, is it a good one? They're like, it's it's probably a booner. <laughs> I'm like, what? And they go, yeah, it's seven foot, knows a tail. So I went and saw it, and I think I took your pictures, didn't I? Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, dude. I, and I think I told you, I said, hey, honestly, you're not going to shoot a bear bigger than this. So from here on out, if you see a color phase, like, you know, if it's a legal bear, like, be happy with it. And then I kind of said, um, because you were new, and I knew that that was just a total fluke probably never ever gonna you're never gonna get that lucky <laughs> ever 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 again i said uh what you should do is you guys should take nick's you should go out with nick's dogs and run some mm -hmm. just for like i just said you know it'll be a lot of adrenaline you know you'll get a good shot honestly you've already shot a freaking seven footer spot and stock 20 yards like it's not going to get any better so you guys, you're like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And I knew Nick was chomping at the bit to, like, let his dogs work. Oh, I'm down forever. Anything. Yeah, so you're just like, yeah, I'm down. I'm down. So the next morning, you guys load up the dogs in the boat, got this 20-mile ride on the boat, you know, get to the other landing, load the dogs up, and drive down the road thinking here's going to be our full day adventure of like trying to find a bear and chasing dogs all across the countryside but no what happened we see this bear right off the road probably <laughs> right off the logging road logging road about 100 yards up and so i get out what color is it brown <laughs> <laughs> so it's a color phase it's perfect and i mean this is probably my first stalking experience ever and somehow i made it work because i stalked him in the from the middle of the road yeah the the video of tony doing the wily e. coyote of literally tiptoeing 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 the bear stops and looks and he just he becomes a rock <laughs> and then he's up on his tiptoes again just the bear like stops Tony just becomes a tree. <laughs> <laughs> the bear looks. Oh, there's a tree in the road. <laughs> Middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, somehow you knew exactly when to move and exactly when to stop. And then you freaking smoke that bear, dude. So I, I think, I don't know if I got that call on a radio. If I heard it on like when we were trying to communicate with like where everyone's at, make sure everyone's like getting back to camp on time. Remember saying like, "Hey, did Tony do any good?" Yeah, he got a he got a chocolate bear. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, dude, that's cool." With the dogs, they're like, "No, he." 
they barely got out of the landing and it was walking down the logging road and he stalked it and shot it. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I had to stalk it to 30 yards because out of my five pin sight, I'd only ever sighted in the top two pins. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my Lord. Okay. Well, so yesterday, uh, and there was awesome, there's other awesome adventures in between the bear hunt and yesterday's turkey hunt, but yesterday's turkey hunt, this turkey comes in and I tell Tony, I'm like, draw back, draw back. Cause this turkey's just strutting. He's coming in from like our four o'clock and he comes in he's totally putting on the show, but he's like, Tony's to my right. So he can't see the bird yet. He can see him through the, like the window, but he's not in the shooting window. And so I had you pull back early because I figured he's just going to walk right in. Well, he ended up coming to the decoys and stopping. Like, I can't, I figured you would see him, but he stopped right before you could see him in, inside the window. Yep. And then um, he kind of started to skirt the decoys as if he had had his butt kicked a bunch of times because I had a, I had a Tom breeding, a, a breeder on top of a submissive hen. So I think once he got in and saw that, he was kind of like, ah, I don't want to get my butt kicked again. So he was kind of like button hooking, just kind of doing a flank maneuver, really. And Tony's at full draw for a long time, and I just said, I go, hey, you're going to have to reset your sight, let down. So you let down. We ranged him. He was 32, which 32 on a turkey is a long shot, in my opinion. Like, I feel like. You know, you're shooting at vitals, you know, maybe the size of an iPad mini or at best. Softball, according to Google. Okay, softball. And not to mention, um, I built a bow for you. You came in. We we got up at like 4 in the morning and went to the indoor range. And I said, all right, let's shoot at some. You're going to have a 20, you know, we're just going to take a 20-yard shot. So let's see where it's at. It was bang on. Oh, 100%. 20 was like on the money. So uh, he lets down, you range, and what was he, 32? 32. And you set your sight so fast. In my mind, I thought he didn't put it on the right number because it was pretty (laughs) dark in there. It was like 10 minutes, 10 minutes into legal shooting time. And then you draw back. I I see you draw back again, and I'm just kind of trying to film it looking at my phone. And then. I hear you shoot, and I'm kind of thinking, like, I'm just, in my mind, I thought for sure I'm going to hear the bow go off, and then I'm going to see the turkey kind of, like, scatter around, pretty much like mine did today on the first shot. And, nope, freaking fourth arrow you've ever shot out of that bow just freaking hits this sucker, and I'm talking blows all the dust off of it and just tombstones this sucker right to the ground, and he's just kind of flopping around in a circle just done and i said i go i go dang dude where'd you hit him and then you you said and then i said well do you do you know where to shoot a turkey and i think you said well yeah i googled it last (laughs) night and then so what did you come up with what was your google search it was uh hit him back and high and watch him die hit him low and watch him go You hit him back and high, dude, and watched him watched him die right there. He was doing the flutter bug. 
today with mine, uh, I took out the embark in a backstrap, which I was really, I shot three deer last year, the backstrap. I was, I kind of liked it. It's just fun, you know? And, uh, that turkey came in and was about, he was a yard away from kicking my decoys ass. And sometimes once they start kicking the decoys, they can get weirded out. You know, if they realize like, wait, that's plastic type thing. So I'm trying to get my pin on him and follow him. And I was kind of like thinking back about my sight picture when he was moving right to left, I had my pin on him, but then I put it like kind of in front of him cause he was moving. And I think mentally I just went to like kind of a moving target, like stay on the front and just squeeze. But I was honestly, I'd pulled back so freaking hard to where even though my pin was on the front of the target, I'm just squeezing my trigger slow to take the slack out and it, it went off. And I realized, like, oh, I'm on my back wall way too hard. I was just jacked up in the moment. And so I freaking reloaded and took a mental note of, like, don't pull back as hard. And then he ended up going out, and he was, I would guess, 26. I put my 20-yard pin right at the top of his back and made a good shot and pretty much just kind of the way he was walking, it went and just, cut his like well right above the beard and just he was done it was i mean it was pretty awesome but yeah that's i kind of thought that's what you were gonna do but you just stepped up and won and done did it and then let's see mule deer hunt yep that was a one and done no that was not one and done (laughs) no 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 i shot a rock (laughs) Yeah, that was a that was a an awesome. We 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 were doing spot and stock, and and um, I really wanted to kind of be with you on that first thing. So we went in together on this this buck that was up feeding in the morning, and we pursued for quite a while. Did did he bed down right there? And we got in, and then he stood up. Yep, he bedded down the first time. Yeah, we got in. Was that forty? Forty when I shot the rock. Yes. Okay. Got into 40, and he stood up, and I had you draw back, and I'm like, okay, he's going to step right in. And he kind of came to the left, and I don't know if you couldn't tell which way he was facing, but there was a rock right next to him that, honestly, I never looked at the rock and thought, that looks like a mule deer. (laughs) I just thought, oh, there's a big-ass rock right there, and – by the way, the mule deer is coming out of the quakies, or it was more like a buck brush. Well, he wasn't in quakies, was he? It was in that, like, kind of that thick, short stuff. Mm-hmm. And it kind of created shadows. Yeah, there was tons of shadows in there. So when he, he, like, came out, Tony made a shot and just shot, like, exactly one deer's body length to the left of the deer, perfect height, and just shoots square into this huge ass gray rock and i just see like sparks blow (laughs) off your arrow in the rock and then this buck's like running down not to mention this was multiple hours it's like not easy to to flank around and go up that hill and then stalk all the way down that hill and kind of then we had to go back up and so then um i kind of thought well you screwed that up you know but the buck ended up going and 
kind of getting comfortable a couple little saddles over and we were able to flank him again and i think he by the time we got in there he just kind of got nervous for some unknown reason or maybe some bugs were bothering him or something he got up and made another move and then that's when we went in for that stock where we were like on our backs uh, trying to stay low we were staying low and getting in there and i remember you said something like you're like i gotta get rid of my backpack and i <laughs> and i remember i go do not drop your pack and you go what and i go you never know well i said we might like we might end up on the other side of this mountain you don't want to have to come back for your pack like never drop your pack well unbeknownst to me what'd you do I didn't drop it. I mean, I, I took it off carefully and placed it <laughs> gently on the floor. <laughs> he unloaded. He literally took his backpack off. And we continued to scoot down on our sides and our butts down this mountain. And we get into this. Mu- How far was he? Maybe right. 30 yards away from us. And he's bedded. We can see his rack. We can't go any closer. We'll see his eyeball. And all he has to do is, like, stand up. And we're sitting there. Is that what got him? That's what got him up, right? He was already standing, and then the rock slide happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the the buck stands up, and I hear this potential rock slide coming down behind me but i'm afraid to move but i could hear rocks like going like clack 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 and then i heard something that sounded definitely heavier and bigger i thought it was a mountain lion (laughs) (laughs) so i in the in the deer is like watching it's the deer hears this rock slide happening so he's like totally keyed in and i look over my shoulder just in time to see this backpack just somersaulting (laughs) and somehow i freaking did i grab it or did you you grabbed it i'm like oh my god your backpack and you freaking reach and grabbed your backpack and like pulled it out of the air and the buck somehow doesn't see you do that but is paying attention to this larger boulder about the size of a paint can that's like going like bop 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 and hopping up high and you can see him watching it like hop all part of my strategy and then he watches it go all the way down the hill he's like his head's looking away and then you freaking shot and we 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 thought you had missed but then honestly we thought you missed and and i think uh we never saw him come out the bottom Mm -mm. so we ended up we ended up talking to uh this kid that we had that was just on a spotter just kind of watching and then we said like hey what happened and he just said well i mean he kind of went straight down that hill beneath you guys he kind of went down that way and then he never really came out of the bottom and i said well do you think he was hit and he said yeah, I mean, he had a lot of blood coming out of his nose. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then i that's when I told you, you got him. You yeah. said, you got your first mule deer? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, so that was um, your mule deer luck. Uh, elk, also lucky. Yeah. 
you know, hit him, but had you hit shoulder? I hit shoulder. So. Solid shoulder. Lacked penetration. Ended up finding him a day and a half later and getting him. Freaking ridiculous. That's almost impossible. Go fast forward to Texas, and you were hunting like a week before me, and it was my understanding that you just made this perfect shot on this really awesome buck. But upon further review, you actually somehow shot at this buck and what did did it slice him? It nicked his belly. Yeah. You shot somehow the broadhead nicked his belly, but never like opened or made a sound or slapped loud enough to where it was like someone walking by you with a like with a piece of paper and just paper cutting you to where you're like, what was that? It was more like a prison slice. <laughs> <laughs> and so that that buck ended up like not knowing what was up and kind of came back to you like what what was that? And then you freaking smoke him. Yeah, it was I I. I hit him super low, so it nicked his belly. And, and I actually thought I completely missed the shot, and he just got spooked, and it was over. And then the next thing I know, a minute later, he's eating to my right side. <laughs> and you smoke him, and that was it. And I smoked him. Gosh, dude. People, people at the beginning of the podcast probably thought you were pretty cool doing all your own stuff. I mean... The raging Asian coming in here, just first time bow hunter doing what everyone wishes they could do. Now they hate me. But yeah, but now they realize that this guy just has some crazy horseshoe up his ass. What's on your bucket list for hunts? Uh, antelope. Is oh, definitely, nice. Definitely on my bucket list. They're so fun. I love antelope. I actually really like antelope hunting. They're the most. There's the most frustrating thing I think that I go after. And by frustrating, I mean you can see them out there. You'll be watching them at 300 yards for 95% of the entire day. And they're out of range and they're like doing what antelope do. And you're just like, come on. And you feel like a needle in the haystack because they're out in the wide open. And then all of a sudden they decide to, to come to water and you have this two minute window of unbelievable antelope hunting and, and then you make a shot and you get up to them and they're just so neat. Have you seen one close up yet? Not yet. So you've never like got to look at one. You're going to dork out with it. Like the, the hair is real hot. It's got, it's like a hollow tube. Oh, for the antler. No, heart. like the hair. Oh, really? Yeah, the hair's like really fragile. Like you can break it. But it's 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 like it's unlike hair that you're used to. It's it's almost like I feel like you could almost say it's closer to like plastic hmm. than hair. It has a very different feel to it. But their eyes, you know, their eyes are like on the side of their head and their eye sockets are slanted to where they can see forward 
And unless their ears are tucked back, I mean, or when their ears are tucked back, they can see like three quarters away behind their head. They can see, which is pretty, I mean, they're just made for vision and running. When are you going? Second week? Uh, I'm going in August, and I need to make sure to Google where to shoot them before then. They're the easiest in the white triangle. Okay. Yeah, right, because, you know, it's got the tan. Mm -hmm. Where that white triangle is, you just go right up the inside leg, and that white triangle is going to be right there, and you pop it through that, and they're done. So once antelope's done, what's next? Like, what's coming up after that? I think I'm ready for sheep. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. Just going right for it. Yeah, I think the physicality of what I've heard sheep hunting is all about entices me. It's, I mean, elk hunting, mule deer hunting, spot and stalk, it's all about the physicality aspect. Mm -hmm. And then even if you're tired, once you see that animal, it's everything just zones in. How do you rate archery in regards to, like, things that you do that you really enjoy now that you're technically you're more of a bow hunter than, like, an archer? But where does that rate? You know, if you have 10 things that you're going to pick and you have to prioritize them, where is is the bow hunting aspect going to fit into that? Uh, Number one. Oh, really? Absolutely. So if you, if someone said, you can't bow hunt and have this job or or like the the field that you're in would you just be like okay well guess i'm gonna find some sponsorships <laughs> <laughs> which you could you could uh tony is the master at sniffing out coupons and any type of potential sale anywhere like we're we're really good friends and you'll still ask me, are you having a Black Friday sale? <laughs> so I can tell my other friends, obviously. <laughs> it would probably be so you could order for your other friends. <laughs> what what makes you love bow hunting that much? Because you're not, I mean, I guess when you look back at previous things you've done in your life, was this the most adventurous or just the most rewarding or? I think it's because you don't know what's going to happen. Every hunt is different versus everything else I've done. I've sort of known what the end looked like, right? Like if I run a hundred K, you know, it's a mental thing. I just have to get through it. If, you know, I, I did an Ironman. It was it's a mental thing. You get through it. Yeah. But the hunt, there's an entire other party out there, right? The animal. Yeah. You have no idea what it's going to do. What was the triathlon? Triath- Did you do an Ironman or try? Ironman. What was it like? Like, how would you rate that? It was good. It was a, it was a mental grind. I, I didn't train for it. Just like I <laughs> kind of like Googling where to shoot an animal the day before. You just Googled how to do an Ironman and just went and did it? How to swim. No. (laughs) (laughs) So I I swam in high school, so I had a swimming background, but um, I hadn't swam for a while, so I I did jump in a pool for two months before I did my Ironman. How much were you training? Like, how much were you practicing for the swim? Uh, I 
I joined a club team for two months and maybe swam four times a week for an hour. So you just stay in the pool for an hour type thing? Yeah, swim laps at different strokes. That's supposed to be like one – that was one of the practices that Harry used to do that was pretty dang interesting to watch. Sometimes the coach would be like, there's no structured class, get in the pool, don't touch the bottom for an hour. And you just picked how you were either floating around on your back, doggy paddling, freaking just sitting there stroking out back and forth or just scissor kicking. But, like, you got in the pool and for an hour you just had to move and keep moving. It's a great workout. I think that's what uh, Joe Thomas credits a lot of his, like, after NFL physique to, right? He's, like, really getting after it in the pool. That yoga. Do you know how much he was doing? I don't. Did you ever ask him? Mm-mm. Yeah, I'd be curious. Um, I'd be curious, like, what his swimming routine would be. I, I used to swim when Harry was swimming because I would have to take Harry in the morning. So a lot of times I would jump in the pool and swim while, like, practice was going on or – even if I took him and then he'd have to shower for a while and they would, you know, it it was never fast. Like high, high schoolers going to their swim practice was never quick. And I really liked it. it until I hurt my shoulder, that's kind of when I stopped swimming because it just it's hard when you don't have full range of motion to move your arm. But the truth is I'd probably have more range of motion if I actually did it more. Yeah, since it's low impact. Mm-hmm. It helps your breathing, your cardiovascular endurance. That's great. You know one thing that really helped my shoulder, funny enough, was um up until COVID, Andy and I would would go into like eye flies and we'd do wind tunnels so he could just teach me skydiving stuff and control. And that resistance of the fan, because you have to be relaxed. Like, you have to arch, and you've got to just kind of let your legs be in a neutral position. Your arms are out, and they're in a neutral position, and you're just trying to grab air, you know. And so that pressure of pushing back on your arms, at first I would go in there and feel like I'm going to dislocate my shoulder because it's, my, you know, my one shoulder is really tight. But by the time I was done – it felt so good, and it was, you know, and there was a couple times where I could hear like some cracking and stuff like that. I think just scarring, scar tissue breaking up. Um, but it was really good for mobility, like just having forced, mm-hmm. like forced range of motion, which is scary. If like when I go to the chiropractor, he'll work on my sh- my left shoulder, and he'll say like, go, "Hey, give me your arm, just relax, let me have it." I'm not letting you have my left arm, you know, no offense, but like, I'm not going to just let you rip that thing around and push on it. But when you're in the wind tunnel and you're trying to be relaxed, you're kind of doing that thing. You're just letting the air have your arm and it just stretches it. And then, you know, I can hear like some, you know, and then it feels awesome. It's like really good. What, um, What's the toughest thing you've ever done physically? Uh, probably the 100K that I ran physically. Just because, 
the longest I had run was three miles before that. <laughs> Dude, you and Tosh would totally get along. Because I don't think he trans- trains for anything. I think he just goes to do it. It's because we're busy. We, we don't have time to train. Like, okay, walk me through it. Were there progressions in that 100K? So you had done three miles. So let's just say in 28 minutes you realize, like, okay, well, that's as far as I've ever gone. It, it For me, it was physical because the body hurt, but then the mental aspect of having to push through the the physical pain, um, that's what you focus on, and then – you know, you think about all your friends back home and you don't want them to make fun of you because you didn't finish. <laughs> so you got to keep going. That's what you're worried about? Oh, 100%. <laughs> like Wes? Yeah, he would never let me live it down if I if I quit. Never. That's awesome. Man, we're shitty friends. That's what <laughs> you have to worry about. Do you worry about that when you drew back on that turkey? Like, if you miss this freaking turkey. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Dad's going to call me out on, on Instagram again. Turkey fever. <laughs> well, you did shoot a rock. That's fair. That's fair. Well, I feel like like with my turkey, straight up, like, as soon as, as, soon as my release went off and I – I could see my pin on the left side of that thing's breast as he's moving right to left, but it was 16 yards. So, I mean, that arrow was, and there was no wind. So it was zero to 16 in like fraction of a second. It's not like, it's not, you know, it's not like it was moving so fast that I needed to lead it. It was just a Turkey kind of walking on a strut. He was moving, but he wasn't moving fast. Right. I mean, it almost be like, me or you at a slow walk Mm -hmm. so my pin just hit my arrow hit right behind the pin and then from there yeah i had to reload and and get after it but as easy as it would have been to edit that out it's like people need to realize i miss too you know i 100 percent miss like last week at the tack people uh people were watching me shoot at some of the longer shots because by the second day I was like I had shot the course enough to know what targets were like fun targets for people and where people were taking pictures by and having fun so those were the areas where I was trying to hang with people and so I was making pretty good shots you know in those locations so people you know assume like I could do that every time, anytime. And so they just said, man, what's it, you know, do you ever lose an arrow? And I said, yeah, I lost two the first day. And they said, where? And I go, here. Because the very first day, well, Sean wanted us ahead of the rest of the people so that I could not cause a backlog on the range and I could shoot some through the course and then once people caught me then i start i fall back into that group shoot a few targets with them fall back to the next and the first target i think was about quarter to seven it was barely daylight and it we had that like fog smog on last weekend so everybody's rangefinders were just ranging the fog that was 
you know, right in front of us. So we're looking at this target knowing there's no way that thing's 15.9 yards. <laughs> and so right away there's people watching, and I'm looking, and I just said, okay, what do you guys think this is? And, I mean, we came up with numbers from 69 to 75. So I'm like, I'll shoot it for 72. <laughs> and I shot and just heard my arrow just – skanking off through rocks and i'm like oh my god and to backtrack the day before that the day before that i was at um event with black rifle and i and i hadn't been able to shoot much at home because the it was like 50 mile an hour winds plus whenever i travel with my bow i like to get somewhere and my protocol is take your bow out of the case check a 20 60 and an 80 or 100 because like if you're if those marks are on then you're good if those marks are all consecutively high then maybe the conditions are like you know the arrow's got a little bit less dense air and you're you know if you're shooting a little hot so i check all those distances well black rifle built their own tack range at the ranch so i i said i, I went up to a 20 yard target shot 20 yards it was good and i said you know, hey, do you have a target that's 60 yards? So they said, yeah, there's a, you can get 60 yards on this. It was like a, a leopard or something. So I went, got to exactly 60 yards, ranged it. I draw back, shoot. And when I shoot, like the arrow looked like it had kicked down. And I kind of thought I was low. So I glassed up there and I could see the shaft like perfect and I, I i'm like okay the shaft the shaft hit the spot i was aiming at but it like kicked down you know on reinhardt sometimes they have those tubes that hold the core in so sometimes if you hit one of those tubes your arrow just kind of kicks weird so i go up to that target and whoever put the course out must have brought three pieces of rebar up to that target so they had an extra piece of rebar and instead of like carrying it back down with them they just thought, well, I don't want this to get lost up here, so I'm just going to lean it against the target. So when this course gets picked up, they'll pick up this rebar. So there was just a random piece of rebar laying against this target, and the tip of the rebar was right at the bottom of the 10 ring, just leaning up against the target. So my field point hit literally the top edge of this piece of rebar and like broke my tip off. And, and so my arrow's, like, stuck in the target with, like, carbon stuck in the target. This was the day before, first target. And so I went out there, and I knew that I had four days of shooting in front of people, plus it's attack, so it's not like they're close shots. Like, you're going to eat up some arrows. And I went with a dozen arrows, like an idiot. Target one, broke it off in a piece of rebar. I'm like, God dang it, you know, so now I'm down to 11. This was the second shot I made leading up to like four days of shooting in front of people. So then I said, well, what do you have for 100? And they said, oh, we got Bigfoot. So we drove around and found Bigfoot. There's 100 yards. So I sit at 100, range it, 100 dead even, set my sight. And I'm kind of looking at him and, uh, they said, well, shoot him in the nipple. Because, I mean, you could see this nipple, like, plain as day. 
So I freaking draw back and I shoot and I could hear it hit and I go and I, and they, they're like, Oh, I think you're touching the nipple dude. Like right on. So I thought, I just said, well, I got my marks. I'm good. I go down there. It wasn't a nipple. It was a big deck bolt with a washer on it that they, that they had hammered down through the head. They like, cause the head has like this kind of like, it gets thin and kind of lays over the chest too. So they hammered the bottom of the head on through the chest. And so it wasn't a nipple. It was like a big washer with a deck bolt going through. Yeah. So I hit this met. I literally shot at a metal bolt (laughs) and freaking broke that arrow. So I was down to 10 and go to the tack. Day one, target one, range finders don't work. Have never stepped on the course to shoot it. Didn't know the distance. Guess the distance was two and a half yards short on like whatever it was, a small deer or something. And skip one through the rocks. So I'm talking target one, day one, I'm down to nine. And I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) So we shot two or three more targets and there was one of those little white rabbits. Have you seen one of those on the tack? Mm Mm-mm. I mean, it's like the size of a real rabbit. It's teeny. So there was a white rabbit, and it's like jumping through the air, this rabbit. There was a white rabbit, like, down in the bottom of this creek, and it wasn't that far. It was like mid-30s or 40 yards. So I, like, look at it, draw back, shoot, arrow hits freaking perfect. I'm like, boom, 10 ring. We go down there, and on the rabbit, by the way, anyone listening to this, if you're going to attack and you see the jumping white rabbit, just shoot it in the middle of the body or in the ass. Like, don't, if you shoot it up on the front shoulder, the rebar or the (laughs) conduit that goes through the whole rabbit is like, this is a design flaw, is exactly behind the 10 ring. And there's a piece of rebar inside of that conduit to hold it in the ground. So if you shoot a 12 ring, you are shooting a piece of rebar. So I'm five targets in. Eight arrows left. Down to eight. Yeah, that was like my stress factor. So there's definitely times where, you know, things happen. Things were happening to me. So I like to show all that stuff and I like to talk about it because, you know, well, the other day I did a live feed and showed everybody um on my elk target there's a there's literally a brand new arrow in the stuck in the tree right above my right above my elk target and I had a dozen arrows made for my turkey bow went out there was shooting at 80 yards at my elk all was good and then wanted to get a picture for the gram and didn't want like my house and my hot tub and you know lawn furniture in the background so i just thought well i'm just gonna step up into the grass and that way when i get my shot it'll be like better background so i walk up 10 or 11 yards and you know draw back and sharon's you know getting a picture of me shooting so i can make my post about tonight's practice and of course my pin sitting on the target just awesome so i'm like we'll just freaking pull through this shot dude and i shoot and it was the first time I'd ever shot that arrow. I had shot two arrows or three arrows at 80 from, like, the original spot where I stand. 
And then I walked up to this spot where she said, like, yeah, there's nothing behind you in the background. And I pulled out a brand-new arrow shot and literally had my sight set on 80 and shot it at about 71 yards or 70 yards. Went right over the elk's back into the tree. First time I'd ever shot the arrow, like, brand new, right into a tree, and it's not coming out. It's in it until we saw it off. That's it. (laughs) I mean, I missed a shot today, too, so. Yeah, you centered my brand new fence. Don't tell Sharon. Well, she won't listen to the podcast, so you might be solid. <laughs> yeah, you might be good to go. What, if there was one thing you could do different about, like, your archery progression, would you start different, like, at the very beginning, or would you do anything different when it when it comes to how you would would have originally practiced or like a training protocol or how you would have got set up, is there anything you wish you would have done different? No, I I just wish I would have a longer range available available to, to shoot to train on. All I have is a twenty yard range through the middle of my house. <laughs> I've been there. That was England. It was really hard to be competitive when I lived there. Because, yeah, I would I would open the back French doors and I would slide the kitchen chairs out of the way and then I put my target on the back fence. And if I stood all the way at the front window, like by the front boiler, it was 20 yards. And that's all I could shoot. You know, and it's and it was like if anyone came from the kitchen and just thought they were going to walk into the living room, they were going to get shot. I mean, it was horrible, and and it it was honestly really frustrating because it was really hard to feel. It it wasn't about feeling good; it was about having the confidence. I don't feel like I really knew if I was shooting well at the distances, so I. I just didn't have confidence going to tournaments with longer shots because I just hadn't seen that through my scope, like duplicating that sight picture enough to, to be able to trust it and, and kind of live with it. I agree. Um, but it's, it's also strange because I think my, my actual mule deer shot was at 56 yards, which is the longest shot I've ever made on an animal, like a live animal. And when you're actually just zoned in on it for that kill shot, you don't real you don't think about how far it is. Yeah, you're just all, the only thing you're focused on is centering that pin right where it needs to be. Well, you guys did. You've shot multiple tacks with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, our whole like, I mean, our whole Houston group. We we've shot tacks and stuff together. So, um. And they're not easy. Like you guys have always shot the knock on course, right? So it's it's been a challenge. Yeah. And I've lost many arrows. <laughs> many brand new arrows. Have you paid attention to where you miss? I, you didn't have the same setup though last time, so I don't feel like it's really fair. I feel like if you took this bow that I built for you now, you'd be good to go. I think so. Um this bow is much faster. Yeah. Cr- crazy fast. Yeah, I built um I built Tony has a shorter draw length and I built him an expedite just uh because his draw length's shorter he needs to get a little bit more speed and also I knew he had antelope this year. Um 
And then you also hunt Texas whitetail. That's where you're from. And they can they can duck and jive. I mean, they can really move. So having that extra speed is, I think, critical. And I think, you know, lesson learned from elk last year, maybe a little bit more penetrating power mm-hmm. would have helped as well. Yeah. And what I told uh, Tony was the brace height's a little shorter on that bow, but when you have a short draw length, it's not as critical because the string angle isn't as sharp, like because you're draw you're not drawing it back as far, so the string angle isn't near as sharp as like for me, if I was at thirty and a half, that peep would be really far from my eye because the string angle would be so sharp. It becomes problematic. So me having a thirty inch draw length is similar to you shooting kind of what's categorized as a speed bow. But at your draw length, it's actually just leveling the playing field to where you're more in a normal bow compared to, like, my draw length, which is good. Because, I mean, 20 feet a second, or let's just say about 18 feet a second is probably what you're going to change. And you're shooting more weight. You're shooting... Are you shooting 10 pounds more this year than last year? Because yep. obviously you've shot more. Um, so you're, you are shooting more weight than you've shot in the past, which is going to add speed as well. Like all these are speed multipliers, but yeah, when it comes to penetration, um, if you have a short draw length or if you're shooting lower poundages, you just have to be smart about the type of arrow that you're putting on the front too. Even though I love the large cuts and I've got used to them because I can shoot in the mid seventies or 80 for poundage, but I also have close to a 31 inch draw so i have just a tremendous amount of power stroke you know i've got four inches more than you've got which is equivalent to probably at least 34 feet per second out of the box so i mean it's pretty vast and if you're gonna you know 30 feet four feet per second when it translate over into like momentum or kinetic energy is a is a lot you know so I think you have a way better setup for your draw length than your application right now. You just need some practice time behind it. I have my 20-yard range. <laughs> what about the shop that's up in northwest Houston? Traffic is incredible in Houston. <laughs> Traffic was gone during COVID, but... It's back it's, with a vengeance? It's back. And everyone's forgotten how to drive. Really? Oh, so what's your when when you have to find vitals is Google the place to go? Google is the 100% the best place to go. What's your search what do you search for? Where do I shoot blank? <laughs> <laughs> How accurate is it? I kind of want to know. <laughs> Let me see. Cuz yeah, you said earlier when it's when you said black bear it said middle of the body, which isn't that accurate. Unless they're quartering away. Yeah, of, of, of course. Oh, was it a quarter away shot? <laughs> so you went middle of the body? Let's see. How to shoot. <clears throat> or no, you said where to shoot. Yeah, where do I shoot a blank? And then you follow it up with a bow. Wow. Number one, where do I shoot a turkey with a bow? Next, where do I shoot a hog? That's because we're sitting next to each other. I know. So your phone f- is freaking picking it all up. All right. Where do I shoot? Uh, 
sheep to kill it. Oh, God. The first one is Humane Slaughter Association. <laughs> sheep and Goats. It's from the UK. When shooting sheep and goats, the aiming point is on the midline, just above the eyes. <laughs> Directed. <laughs> Make sure you put with a bow, people. Yeah, because uh, otherwise you're going to... Okay, here we go. Where do I shoot a sheep with a bow to kill it? Dang, it still took me to this UK site. Humane shooting and shot placement. Farmer assistant. Poor sheep. Oh, I don't know. This looks sketchy. So we're. I'm looking here. Where to shoot a sheep? I love how the first one is a freaking Marco Polo. I mean, come on, dude. I mean, that's the that's the most basic sheep, right? I mean, not where I'm from. <laughs> not to mention, it says bow hunting big horn sheep. And it's clearly not a big horn. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Dang, these poor sheep and rams. The humane slaughter at hsa.org.uk is showing arrows <laughs> to the top of the forehead of these poor sheep that are getting pelted with the 22 in the face. Ouch. Now, this looks solid. Like, this is up your alley. Yeah, you look for those diagrams with goat the shot placement. Yellow, blue, red. Boom. There you go. Katow. Yeah, that's a good placement right there. I would like to, I would be down for a billy goat, personally. I think a billy goat shot would be pretty legit. But that's one of those things where you need to go with someone cool because you're gonna be out there for a couple days. You're gonna be out there a couple weeks. You don't want to be just with a rando. Yeah. Out there. All right, well, what's one piece of advice you can give any bow hunter, beginning bow hunter out there, other than your Google search terms? I, I think train. Like, shoot repetitions equals success. Um, even though I only shoot 20 yards through my house, uh, you know, I try to shoot at least three to four times a week. Um and it just so feels, you actually practice archery? Because I'm like, dude, you're really going to stand here and tell people to get after it when you did three miles for prep for, prep for 100K and then you did two weeks in a pool to prep for an Ironman? I mean, five shots a day is not that much. You know? <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Whoa. Is that what you do, five shots a day? Yeah, because I get tired of walking the 20 yards to target pulling them out what if you shot five arrows at different spots and then that way you could get 25 in you still only walk there five times that's that's true could you do that i probably could but that might be tony you have you can't tell people to practice and you shoot five arrows that that's all right my real piece of advice is to come down to dud's place and Get one-on-one coaching. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your favorite piece of – you're being very professional on this podcast because normally you're screwing around a lot more. <laughs> Are you afraid of work listening in? You have to be, like, tactful. They would have 
no idea who I was. <laughs> like, that's Tony? <laughs> what? Yeah, for those listening, if you, there's no way you would notice Tony walking down the street. Because, like, when you see Tony in hunting camp, he's in camp. Like, you don't even pull your face mask down walking around the kitchen. You're like, face mask is up. You're, you're, um, self-polarizing glasses you're like blind mice glasses are always <laughs> on freaking dark out like even right now they're are do they go dark just because the lights are on in here they're just naturally this dark because you're totally dark I, I feel like i'm just looking across at like an ancient like ninja master or a blind blind mi- mouse it's my hunting persona okay and then uh, last year we were hunting together and you had a meeting during the day and i remember coming around the corner and you said like i can't hunt this morning i gotta do some zoom calls and i don't know if you had you were and i call this this figure tone is what i call him um tone was in the house doing a zoom call were you only tone from like the waist up i can't remember i i wear jeans Okay, that's right. Yeah. yeah, you were you were fully decked out. I've definitely seen times where you've been Tone from like the waist up for like the webcam. And I'm talking like custom fit shirts, button ups, like real classy. You could be on GQ pretty easy. <laughs> his hair his hair looks like honestly, it's like a very standard Asian haircut. I don't know if that's fair to say. It's like, but when you style it, it somehow becomes very hip. Oh, you mean, oh, I know what you're saying. Like, when you throw the rooster up, it looks, you look like you could potentially be a gay Asian. That's just (laughs) super dressed nice. Your hair's, like, freaking styled and perfect. But then, if you see it, when he takes his hunting baseball cap off, you're like. It's like a bowl cut. Yeah, you're just like, that's just a bowl cut. That's just a bowl cut with, like, long-ass hair on top. Do you do it yourself? No, I go to a stylist. You do? A hundred percent. I can't believe you don't tackle, like, doing your own hair. No way. Why? Because it doesn't look complex, actually. It just looks like, it looks like everything's shaved except for the top third of your head. That's basically what it is. And is it all the same length up there? It's blended. They did fade it some? Well, it's pretty it's pretty styling. So yeah, that's his um that's his work persona. So if if you walked through work in your Sika in like those glasses you have on right now and like a knock on hat, would anyone even know it was you? They'd probably call security. <laughs> that's so awesome. How much did you study uh when you were growing up? You told me your parents just made you study. Yeah, it's it's the it's a traditional tiger mom, right? Asian parents, tiger mom, it's sort of the term they use. And so growing up, it's all about academics. You know, the focus is always academics. Um, and we're first. Um, my parents immigrated here. I was born in China, right? So, and my brother's my little brother was actually born here. So. He's first generation here, uh, and the focus growing up was 
you know, we didn't have a lot coming over. So in order to kind of build yourself up, you want to make sure that you, you study hard, you can go to a good school, get a good job, right? And so Yeah. What um what did your dad do? He works for USDA actually. He does? Hundred percent, yeah. He he so my yeah. dad got his master's in China. Is he a biologist or something? Mm-hmm. Cool. He's a Yeah, of course. Yep. He's a biologist. Came down to the US, then went to Texas A and M for his PhD and now works at USDA. Do you have a PhD? I do not. I have a bachelor's to the disappointment of my parents. Because your bro has one, doesn't he? He doesn't either? Mm-mm. What does he do? I remember meeting him last year at the at the big Texas barbecue thing. What's that called? Uh it's the Houston Rodeo barbecue oh, yeah. Yeah. cookoff. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was awesome. And I met your brother there, right? Yeah, so he's a technical advisor for an IP law firm, but chemical engineering background by trade. Dang. Is he smarter than you? Nope. Just, for sure not? 100% not smarter than me. Is that Are you factoring in street smarts and your ability to like be crafty with materials? Yeah, all around. Just. Does archery interest you because of the gadgetry? The gadget? Gadget, gadget, gadgetry. Yeah, gadgetry. I love, <laughs> I, I love things. I know. You love orange things too, by the way. That's true. But that's because deer can't see the color orange, I heard. Turkeys can. So it was pretty awesome watching you pull out, honestly, the only pair of fluorescent orange Swarovskis I've ever seen. That's so no, I can never misplace them and no one can take them. <laughs> I did have to get you a, an orange knock to it release for Christmas. And my bow is strung with orange. It strings. is now, yes. I did do I did do kind of black I did black out limbs for you, which is pretty rare because I've got a select number of uh a tone on tone graphics, limb graphics to where there's no green in them. So I did tone on tone. Tone? Tone, tone. Oh, oh damn. That's punny. That is <laughs> tone on tone. Dang. We're going to have to Photoshop that. Hunting Tony on tone A. That would be some tone on tone action. <laughs> <laughs> What's the funniest thing you've seen happen at like a camp or something that we've done? Mm. Or like what was your... Out of all the adventures we've done which I shouldn't say all the adventures because we've probably had 10, would you say? Um, that's what's so cool, too. I love I love our group that is off the grid because, like, I still love, I still love hunting when it doesn't feel like, like, I shouldn't say work, but there's times where my hunting... I feel obligation to like educate when I can or film when I can, or, you know, there's times where it's like, I know I showed this Turkey dying today. So, you know, I, I take the time to, to film that awesome breakfast we did, you know, which was actually your Turkey and it was spectacular, but I also love having a group of friends to where no one cares about like a camera or, you know, any type of exposure. So like our group, 
that's what we are. So out of the things that we've done, like what's been your favorite? I think my favorite, especially because I've only had five years of hunting experience, is actually watching one of our close mutual friends, Atish, actually get into hunting as well. So I, I see him following the same progression or journey, right? And, I mean, you hunted with him after he killed his first whitetail. You know, he was the first thing he said was, look at its teeth. Yeah, we hunted together, and uh, he was literally observing everything. Like, you know, wow, you know, look at that dove. Are all doves that big? You know, he's like just <laughs> observing all kinds of crazy stuff, and then – Shot a deer that was really cool. I mean, it had like dual kickers. It was really cool, and he had no he had no idea. And so we walk up, and I'm like, "Bro, your first first freaking deer!" You know, and I'm he's just he's excited. He's still trying to he's still trying to process it. You know, he's walking up, and and he just you know I pick the buck up and you know, they're like totally relaxed. So obviously the jaw kind of sags down <laughs> and he's just like, man, look at those teeth. <laughs> he's like, I don't know much about deer teeth, but I feel like those are good ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so refreshing too, because the, I mean, that's what a lot of the, I say old timers, but a lot of, like my mentors were very that's one of the things that like I love about um I, that I love about like Fred Eichler you know I would never I wouldn't want Fred to like come and hunt a farm that I'm trying to like manage cuz he's just gripping and ripping but it it's awesome to see people that just love to hunt and you know they they're there because they they love that. And there's, like, for me, there's times where every year I almost, there's, like, certain hunts where I do it for education and I do it for knock-on. But there's always a few hunts where I'm like, this one's for me. And and today that it was like that, too. I wasn't, like, super concerned about, you know, we took, two pictures with our phone, mm -hmm. like literally two pictures with our phone. I filmed a little bit. So, I mean, I'll probably play the thing, but it wasn't like a full production for the Turkey. I was, I was really pumped that yesterday we got your bird today. You got to like, was this the first time you were like running a camera? It was. So dude, that was, to, was it different? Like, were you still excited? Oh, it was, it was actually, in my opinion, better because I had the turkey in full view. I didn't have to worry about shooting it. All I did was observe. And, I mean, yesterday I didn't even see the thing strut, you know. Yeah, you didn't because I was telling you just like, you know, face forward, draw, you know, draw when I tell you. And, you you know, I was pretty much just waiting for you to draw so you could walk right into your sight picture. Mm -hmm. That's part of why I love mentoring people. It's so it's so fun and you get to like, even when you're the shooter, there's a lot of stuff that happens. And although you remember how it unfolded and you remember all that, you also have closed circuits to other things that are happening because you're so focused on just, you know, this one aspect of that, 
moment in time. But when you're an outside spectator watching it, you actually see a lot more. And plus you can see the expression on that person's face. And it's like smiles are addicting. Mm -hmm. And when you go bow hunting for the first time, it's not just a smile. It's like there's a part of your whole life that is like grinning and glowing because of this like it's just a sense of accomplishment and challenge that was met and no matter how many times you do it there's always something in your back of your mind that knows like like my turkey if you would have told me i was going to miss a turkey at 16 yards i would have said well i'll definitely hit it but the reality is everything was happening so fast. I had my pin on the front of it. I'm trying to follow it and pull through. And I just straight up shot in front of it. Like that's what happened. And to be able to see that experience from an outside perspective, I think is just so enlightening and it's like so rewarding. And most of our group, like I loved, um, I never got to hunt with you in BC but you were like super jacked, but we had some cool like hangout times at camp and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Cause that's the only downside to the only downside to bear and moose camp is it's like dark to dark a lot. Um, normally in the mornings we have breakfast or in bear camp, but for moose it's like dark to dark. So you don't see a lot of people unless it's kind of in the, in the kitchen, you know, at the end of the day. But some of the other hunts that we did, like our mule deer hunt, there was a lot of times where we're just laying against our backpacks, just glassing or waiting or, you know, we know there's nothing going to happen till tonight and we just have to, like, burn time. And I just feel like that's what more people need in life is time where it's there's quiet disconnect and you have the ability to share with someone that, is important enough to you to be on an experience like that mm -hmm. and be able to share that kind of those moments. It just, it, it's like, it's the epoxy that solidifies a relationship with someone. Yeah. It, you know, when you're out in nature, it's like super de-stressing, right? Like if I'm in front of a computer all the time and when I'm out hunting, there's no computers, right? You're, you're focused on, the sounds, you know, you're trying to listen for gobbles um, here. You're trying to listen for the elk and the bugles. Um, you know, it's just you, nature. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. And we've had so many friends that literally had their first of some kind, whether it was their first buck or their first elk or, uh, well, another one of our, mutual friends which i'm lucky enough to be on the outside of this group looking in like i i got i i feel like i'm the last person into your group right but like tuan you know he's an awesome character from houston too that you know goes out and hunts a few times a year and i just thought it would be really awesome to get him a crossbow and you know just like he he's not going to have time he's got two boys that he coaches and he's you know freaking 
works his ass off on a runway. Hustling. Hustling nonstop. He's not going to be able to go practice archery, not to mention I don't know what Chuan's backyard situation is, but I'm going to guess it's not like he's not putting 3D ranges in the backyard. (laughs) Not in Houston. Okay. So, yeah, I got him a crossbow, and we, you know, got that. I gave it to him, and we were at a uh, camp in Texas in uh, November. And, you know, watched him shoot his first time with a crossbow, and he kind of never even put his face down on it. You know, it was like he just kind of held it out there just gangster style and just (laughs) shot, you know, and barely, barely clipped this this target that was probably three feet high and two feet wide. And so then it's like, dude, put this thing on your shoulder and look down through that aiming reticle and then put the freaking dot on the target and then squeeze the trigger. So then he did it and just dead center. Bullseye. And you could tell he was just like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He was he like, dude, he was on cloud nine right then. And then he went out and just freaking had some awesome hunts, right? Mm-hmm. So pumped. Totally new experience. I feel like I feel like he ne- like he doesn't realize that a crossbow is different than a bow, you know, but it, it's also not really f- fair to like explain it. You know, it's not fair to say, especially for someone that doesn't practice. Like if there's I'm not personally a crossbow advocate but i think it has application you know i like the challenge of archery i like i like not being good and i like having to practice to get good and then i like being good and i like having success and i also like knowing that for example today i was thinking okay you've been back from tack for three days and i haven't gone out and shot I haven't gone out and practiced with my tack bow and practice at those distances because when I left the tack, although I managed to keep those eight arrows and bring those eight arrows back, I also came back thinking like, okay, you were good, but you weren't great. You need, you know, you've got four weeks to prep for Pennsylvania. Come home and prep, like get after it, you know, get in the gym get on the practice range, prep, put in your time. But I have the ability to do that. But someone like, you know, Tish or Tuan, they're not going to, they don't have the ability to go and, and put in that kind of effort. So for them to be able to be on a, a, a archery hunt with other people and then be able to have a crossbow and still make one shot and they have a broadhead and an arrow and like the blood trails the same, it, mm-hmm. you know, that's not like it's like, boom, you know, the, the distance has to be close, right? You're not going to just shoot something at 300 yards. I mean, you're making a bow hunting shot distance. So I feel like both of them had more like close interaction, like to where they they had you know they had to be within range to make this shot and then they also knew that it wasn't like the devastation of a of a ballistic round hitting something you know you still have to slice it in the right spot and so i think it was like a whole different level of accomplishment like that they felt you could see it on their face it was really really cool yeah tuan tuan absolutely loved 
his crossbow. I'm pretty sure he slept with it that night. Yeah, yeah. He well, he carried it around a lot. Oh, like a gangster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. It was freaking awesome. And I can't stress this enough. If you're an archer, and if you honestly, if you listen to this and think, you know. A lot of this stuff that he talks about, I you know, I know this. I've done this 10 years. I know how to shoot. I know how to build a bow. I know how to build arrows. You know, hey, you're the perfect person right now to help the sport of archery by taking your expertise and finding someone who doesn't know any of it and taking them out for the first time. You know, take them hunting. Take them to an archery range. Um, sometimes just, if, you, if you're good, sometimes just taking someone with you and saying that you know likes archery but isn't necessarily gung-ho about it or super passionate or dedicated to it, take that person out and shoot with them and just let them watch someone shoot that is above average and it'll immediately open their eyes of like, holy cow, I didn't know you could shoot like this. And it, it like kicks on a whole new drop. It kicks on a whole new gear with people to where they want to be better. Right. They want, they want to shoot better. They want to learn. Um, they might say, you know what? Um, I'm going to go on a harder hunt. Like, you know, be a mentor share these experiences i don't know if you're there yet tony but you're probably getting to the point where for the right person you could you've been inquisitive enough to where i think you could you could be a good mentor for someone because even though you haven't experienced it you research a lot of stuff because you're very curious about like knowing the ins and outs of of everything that we do well i can i can draw a parallel to sort of my life in corporate America, right? So when I go in and I mentor like an analyst or someone more junior, what it does is it actually reignites the passion, right, for yourself to learn. And and you see that person sort of take everything in that you are telling them, you know, and it, and it reignites that passion inside yourself mm-hmm. to go and learn more as well and to grow again. Um, so I can definitely see how that could translate into the hunting world as well, right, as a mentor. It's honestly why I love to teach. And most of the time that I am teaching, if I'm doing School of Knock segments, like I'm going to teach a lot during the TAC events because there's a lot of things I don't think about talking on, like for subject matter, because a lot of times you overlook some of the the fundamentals and not just fundamentals of me saying like, Hey, make sure when you, whenever you shoot, you know, check your, your stance and your grip and your shoulder. Like it's a different magnoscope of that. It's there's talks of, you know, okay, this person has a serious problem leaning their bow. Every time they go to pull it back, they lean it. So here's a drill you could do that can help, you learn how to draw your bow efficiently to where it's not always leaning it back or me being on a course and just watching someone load their arrow really weird to where I tell them, Hey, 
you loading an arrow that weird, honestly, it doesn't seem like much because obviously you're just putting an arrow on a string. Not that big of a deal. But when it comes to being a bow hunter, when you're doing these things that are outside of your body's outline, animals are going to see that. You learning how to hold your bow in front of your body and take an arrow out of your quiver and flip it around, slide it forward onto your rest, then bring it back with your one finger on each side of the string and, and pop it into the spot. Like those little movements are critical. But a lot of times watching, like you said, watching someone do it, you start to, it like rekindles this, this drive of, man, like these are things I overlooked. They're so critical and I need to talk about them. You know, I need, and, and for me, that little movement I just talked about for reloading, you know, learning to grab an arrow, you know, make sure your broadhead isn't hitting your string, putting all the way forward on the le- on the rest. And then as you bring the arrow back, having a finger on each side of the knock and literally holding the knock as you clip it onto the string, not having to turn your bow upside down and hold the end of your arrow shaft and like pop your knock on for that Turkey today, because I had to make a second shot. If I had to do all that, he would have definitely saw the movement and it would have taken way more time. You know, I, when I missed that bird, just because I went through those drills, I reached back, got the arrow, put it forward, grab my knock, kind of slid my fingers back in the dark and felt around where my do loop was and like clipped my arrow in there and then made the shot. Well, you made a, you made a comment earlier that, you know, you didn't think I had adjusted my sight because it was so fast, but that was actually a lesson learned from our mule deer hunt because every time I adjusted my sight on the mule deer hunt, I would tighten down. Oh, that's right. And you said in a hunting situation, you don't need to tighten it down. You don't have to lock it down. Exactly. Just snug it. So you could still roll it if you needed to. Yep. So is that why you didn't even need to, you didn't even like unlock it, move it. You just literally looked in the daylight and just went and then exactly. we're back on your release. Exactly. Yeah. Cause you're not going to be shooting groups, you know, on a, on a spot hog two pin, you're not going to be shooting groups on an animal. So, um, if you have the ability to roll that wheel, you know, with some force, it's not like don't leave it loose enough to where if you were walking around, it's going to be sliding and turning and changing distance. But distance for one shot before the vibration of that bow goes through there, it's all you need. And that's what you ended up doing. It was money. All right, dude, you got anything to say before we wrap this up? We got we got some food to eat tonight. No, just, you know, thank you for having me here. Uh, and thank you for giving me my first turkey. Dude, it was so awesome. It was, I told our buddy, I told our buddy, you were smiling bigger after that turkey than, honestly, than when you came back to camp and said you had got your elk. <laughs> because you were just like, I mean, you've been wanting this turkey for a while. Oh, yeah. Two years. Was it two years ago you couldn't come, or when was it? I think it was two years ago. I couldn't. I couldn't make it. <laughs> so you've just been sweating it. Oh, yeah. Is it all it was cracked up to be? 
Yeah. And, you know, when you hit that turkey and those feathers fly, <laughs> oh, it's a different feeling. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty cool, aren't they? They're awesome. I mean, like head back, they're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that head, man, I don't know. It would... Uh, God got tired once it got to the head. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if our heads were like that. <laughs> it would be cool if they made an like a bell clava <laughs> that you could change the color on it with your phone, like a turkey. <laughs> Imagine walking into a bar and you're just like all like just have your shoulders forward and you just turn that thing all white <laughs> where you're just freaking in there, just your whole head's white looking around. And then like and you got this big like long, stretchy freaking thing hanging over your face and you're just walking and looking at people around the bar. And then 10 minutes later, someone looks down and your freaking long dongers all like pulled up to just like a little chode <laughs> and your head's all red and blue and you're just looking around. <laughs> someone bumps into you and you change the color of your... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, freaking turn that head white and just freaking throw down, just puff up and start turning your head sideways. Yeah, I'd be... Uh... You know, if people were turkeys, tell me Bert Soren wouldn't be a freaking trophy long beard, oh, dude. 100%. Dude, <laughs> freaking, yeah, there'd be a whole bunch of, like, turkey nerds just looking for, like, ZZ Top, Bert Soren. Those are full body mounts. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if freaking Bert came in to a call, dude, you'd be like, <laughs> I'm full body mounting that sucker, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would be. I I would be so afraid. Like, what do you think Bert? What do you think Bert does? Um, because I get a ton of like I get a ton of um four hundred one k. Do you get a ton of four hundred one k crap that's like irrelevant? What do you Where, mean? Like when um when the voter like when the shareholders vote on certain mm -hmm. things, you get like all those like yep. you know. Things that just say like, "Hey, if you want to vote on this, which obviously it's a four hundred one k, I could give a shit." Um, I just freaking put all that in the paper shredder, right? All that, all that Ag Edward stuff. <laughs> if I was Bert, dude, I'd be freaking braiding that sucker up and like wrapping it around the back of my head and putting it in a ball cap, like before <laughs> I would do any paper shredding. Oh, yeah. wouldn't it be scary? That's a liability, dude. <laughs> Imagine sucking your chin down to oh a freaking God. paper shredder. I saw him at Tack, and he said he had cut, I thought he said four inches off. Maybe he said eight. If yeah. I grew my beard, if me or you grew our facial hair well, for the rest of our life. I'm Asian, so I can't. Let's just say we did. Okay. It would be four inches. I'm talking 80 years old, I would probably have a four-inch beard. Well, my beard would look like yours right now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really have a you have a stash that's solid. You I mean you would have a, a solid stash. I mean this is going on I think two and a half weeks. Right now? Mm hmm Yours is more of a kung fu artist stash too. There's nothing in the middle. Like right directly under your nose, it's bald. It's just <laughs> on the side and like halfway down. <laughs> <laughs> like you look like that dude when you type in like kung fu on if you go to like send someone a text i'm gonna send one right now let's see i'll send it to our group text 
Yeah, I think if you put like Kung Fu, there's got to be that. Yep, there he is right there. See, that's a classic. For me, it was like the third one over. There's a there's a dude with a very white uh, mustache and part of a goatee, but super good eyebrows that are white. I have pretty good eyebrows. Does your hair grow pretty soft? Like honestly, most of the most of the kung fu dudes I see, they really can't grow a good mustache, and they definitely can't grow a beard on the side of their face. I think from your ear down, you have no growth plates, no hair follicles. But you could definitely grow a man bun, like a kung fu man bun. Oh, I used to have one. I think you could grow that. You had a man bun? I did. How long was it? Uh, My hair would come down to the base of my neck. Dude, I got to see that. What were you doing at that time? No, I was still working. This was only a few years ago. Um, and then when I went to go get a haircut, my stylist would actually braid it for me. He'd braid the man bun? She would. Dang. Solid. Well, it's funny. People are. I just sent this kung fu picture to our group text just because I had to pull it up, and people are already laughing at it, and they have no idea why I even sent it should try growing like a Fu Manchu or something. Well, that's what I mean. That's pretty much all you can grow Yeah, is a Fu Manchu. What's your favorite meal if you were to cook one meal? If I was to cook one meal, uh, I really like Thai food. So that's strange. <laughs> I know because I'm Chinese, right? Like that's like a traitorous, you know. No. Yeah, I, I love Thai food. What's the best Thai restaurant you've ever been to? Uh, in Houston, I would say probably either Thai Gourmet or Rim Tanan. Those are two legit places. One is more of a hole in the wall, and one's a little fancier. Hala. Yeah. I mean, business is gonna spike now. Uh, Don't forget where it came from. Promo code Tone. <laughs> <laughs> What if they reached out? Oh, damn, dude. Siri just te- just like scribed all everything we were just saying. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, all right, everyone. I've threatened to uh, cut this podcast short 15 times, which I'm pretty good at. And then I'll bring up another subject. But that's part of the podcast. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure you get out there and shoot something. Whether it's a target, whether it's an animal, just get after it. You know, teach someone to pull a string back with a projectile on it and let it go. If you're doing that, then you're a projectile enthusiast and you're good. You're good to go. And life's going to be awesome. Right, Tony? Gobble, gobble. (laughs) Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com